This is the Humboldt Chronicles. I am the queen of everything. I gotta be high before I can sway. Lighter tea and let it be. If you are viper. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask and Comet the Radio Dog. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Proper Wellness Center and Lost Coast Exotics. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. In mid-July, the Los Angeles Times ran an editorial titled, What Legalization? California is still the Wild West of Illegal Marijuana. In the opinion piece, the Times editorial board averred that the unregulated cannabis market is as big or bigger, now than it was prior to the passage of Proposition 64, estimating its size to be three times that of the regulated market. In this, the 45th episode of the Humboldt Chronicles, we wanted to take a look at the persistence of the unregulated market here in California and compare it to the situation in a state that has taken a very different regulatory approach. Along the way, we encounter the enterprising, venturesome nature of those in the cannabis business who are in it to make it however they can, some of whom have decided that the best way to make it in the California cannabis business is to remain in the unregulated market. But before we get to our guest, I want to pose our first question to you, Larry. Just why has legalization not seemed to have diminished the unregulated market? You know, I'm not sure anyone knows for sure, but there are multiple factors experts point to. For one, licensing and permitting in California is not just difficult, but also very expensive, to the tune of thousands of dollars more here than in any other state that has legalized commercial cannabis, as we'll explore later in the episode. Further, the cost of testing, packaging, track and trace, these all increase production costs. Then, of course, our taxes, state taxes, local taxes, sales taxes, excise taxes. The net effect results in a retail price for legal weed that is substantially higher than what the unregulated market can deliver. And oddly, I think, and tell me if I'm right or wrong about this, a particular provision in Prop 64 itself is a contributing factor. Prop 64, of course, provided the mechanism to set up the legalized market here in California, and it gives local jurisdictions the ability to opt in or opt out And lots of localities opted out, right? Yeah, they did. And that that may have been the only way to get the proposition passed, but it also leaves open large sections of California for unregulated businesses to thrive. There are some indications that this is changing a bit. And later on in the show, we're going to take a look at some statistics that indicate that more and more local jurisdictions are now finally deciding to opt in and allow legal commercial cannabis sales. Back in January of this year, we took a look at the regulatory structure of the medical cannabis market in Oklahoma. True to its nature, Oklahoma took a much more libertarian approach to regulating cannabis production and sales, opting for minimal cost of entry. We wanted to compare the unregulated market as it exists in Oklahoma to that in California to see if we could gain any insights on the relationship between regulation and compliance. To do so, we spoke to a person we think is just the right one to talk us through this issue. He has years of experience in the legal medical cannabis market here in Humboldt, but is among those who, at a certain point, 
moved on to a less regulated state offering a less expensive entry into its market. His name is Chip Baker. After years of experience in Humboldt and a stop in Colorado, Chip landed in Oklahoma, one of the reddest states in the country and now one of the nation's hottest cannabis markets. We, uh, I think, effectively moved to Humboldt uh, around uh, August 3rd, 1997. And we moved there specifically to be involved with medical cannabis. At the time, we were living in Georgia. I've always loved and cultivated cannabis since I was a, a kid. And uh, cannabis had just been legal. Medical cannabis was just legalized in California. And we were at this protest in Tallahassee, Florida, I believe. And I met Jack Hara. And Jack Hara told me what was going on in California. And, of course, I'd read his book, Emperor Wears No Clothes. And he, he said, hey, man, we, we need people like you in California to, to make weed legal for everybody. And he was a really enthusiastic character. But his words struck and, uh, yeah, we uh, knew Humboldt had the best weed at the time and thought that was the place to go and, and get involved with medical cannabis. And uh, I had a fairly large business in Humboldt, which has gotten even larger, Royal Gold Cocoa Fiber. That's up there in uh, Blue Lake. Uh, big shout out to the crew there. I started that company and sold it in 2016 and moved to Colorado to focus on my, my grow stores, which were, you know, they were just exploding and at the time, there was a, a, a lot of cannabis industry going on in Colorado that wasn't quite happening in, in Humboldt or in California. So when did you move to Oklahoma and what motivated that move? Uh, we moved to Oklahoma in uh, 2019, uh, right after uh, they legalized cannabis here. And one of the motivating factors, we were just having this really hard time with a license that we had in Humboldt. It was just this bureaucracy struggle. Uh, and, you know, it was literally like, it's literally like the old joke of like, oh, get in line B. Oh, no, you're supposed to be in line C. Oh, no, you're supposed to be in line A. Oh, you got to go to line B first. Right. And that, that's what it's like in California and in Humboldt County. Uh, you know, to get a cannabis, a legal cannabis license of any sort, small, big, large, whatever. And uh, Oklahoma is not like that. Um, it is, they're very sophisticated. It is an easy online application. Um, it is, even though it is regulated, it's not over-regulated. Uh, they're doing all the right things over here. There's, there's no canopy restrictions. There's no plant restrictions. And for the cannabis industry to perform in a free market, like, like that's what it takes, man. Cannabis is for everybody. It's not just for one person or one group of people that want to make money off of it. And uh, Oklahoma, they've really pioneered that. Um, if, uh, and, you know, interesting thing, you know, you guys know the history of Humboldt County and, and so much of Humboldt is, came from Oklahoma. Oklahoma by the sea is the McKinleyville joke, right? And uh, 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 Oklahoma was founded, I mean, Humboldt was founded by so many uh, uh, Oklahomians in the 40s and 50s, you know, leaving the Ozarks, the timber industry there, and coming up to the timber industry in Humboldt and Mendocino counties. So 
Oklahoma and Humboldt are a lot alike. The mindset is the, is so similar. The independent nature, right? The the uh, they're actually friendlier here with neighbors than people are in in Humboldt. But when I first got there over twenty years ago, like people were generally friendly, you know, to your neighbors. Uh, uh, it may have changed now. Um, uh, but it you know Oklahoma man like being in Southern Humboldt, you know, where we live, you know, it's on a hundred acre ranch and it could be alter point easily, except we have considerably more flat land. Although there are some reports that several Oklahoma counties are beginning to grow tired of outsiders arriving to cultivate big grows, taking advantage of the lax laws in Oklahoma, Chip Baker says the Sooner State is still putting out the welcome mat to the cannabis industry. I have been in Oklahoma, though it's been a little while, but I haven't, you know, I've I've never lived there and I haven't spent a ton of time there. But when I think of Oklahoma, I think of it as a fairly conservative state, obviously politically, but also culturally. Would you say that the attitudes of the sort of the general public to cannabis is is receptive or do people, you know, is it is it the evil weed in a lot of people's minds? No, man, it's exactly the opposite. And humble is conservative and it's the evil weed to anybody that doesn't like it or involved with it. And there are clear division lines in Humboldt County specifically of people that just hate it and think that we're the worst people in the world and are ruining the environment and sucking up all the water and causing all these zoning issues. And that's absolutely not the case. Yeah, there's been some historic problems with cannabis cultivation, but man, the, the worst of the, the busts in the past have been glamorized and your neighbors and ranchers, they think that you're just like that, right? And, and that's one of the biggest problems with Humboldt today is that division, right? It is not accepting completely for cannabis, even though if you're in the cannabis industry there or if your friends are into cannabis, it is. But there's the whole other side of it, right, that's, uh, that's not accepting of it and that's absolutely against it and wants to, like, control it and not allow the industry to expand, that believes that Humboldt should go back to the way that it used to be, whatever that is, Right. And they don't want outsiders coming in, whatever that means. I mean, the whole state was founded by outsiders. (laughs) Right. So Oklahoma is far more receptive, man. I've literally had two people give me grief for having cannabis business here. Two. Right. Like in Humboldt, you'll get grief every single day from somebody. Oklahoma, as I understand it, permits medical use, but not recreational. What are the requirements then for getting a medical use card? Oh, it's, it's really simple. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive maybe than California. I believe you have to pay a fee to the state as well as having to get your doctor's recommendation. But interestingly, 300,000 people have paid these fees to get uh, medical cannabis here. 300,000 people. Now, you know, there's often these division lines between like conservative or religious. Uh, Guess what? Uh, Those guys smoke weed too. They all love it just as much as we do. They just had to hide it because it was illegal. And Oklahoma is absolutely proving it because, yeah, it is conservative. And, yeah, there is there is a, a large re, a religious element here that doesn't exist in Humboldt, right? But 
man, 10% of the population immediately went out and registered to be able to buy medical cannabis. 10%, man. I think it's unprecedented in any state. And, uh, and I mean, honestly, I, I think it probably rec- uh, uh, represents what the national average, you know, of, of people that use cannabis. Is there any movement to add recreational use in the near term? Do you hear of any legislation or initiatives? Is there any movement toward that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if we haven't had that, uh, uh, that poor year last year, it, it probably would have already been uh, gone for recreational. But, you know, you know this is you, often what happens is this scenario, no matter if it's Colorado, Oregon, California, is they'll have this medical license for some period of time. In California, they're a little bit of an outlier because they did it differently than every other state. But uh, the states, they'll issue these medical licenses for a short period of term, and and it really helps develop the industry. Because unlike Humboldt, unlike California, unlike Oregon, man, nope, there's no weed culture here at all, right? And what I mean by that is, in you know Eureka, you can go to Pearson's and get pretty much whatever you need for an industrial cannabis operation uh, for electricity or plumbing right there because there's such this huge demand there for it. Right here, you can't get that and stuff special order and it, you know they don't know what plastic polybarbs are and you know all these like specialty cannabis things they've never seen. Uh, and then there's the whole like economy and employees and real estate, and that all has to get developed, and the fees have to get ironed out. And after that period of time, recreational happens, right? Uh, often it coincides with a dip in the market, right? In in Colorado, we saw this happening happen right before cannabis was legal for adult use. There was a dip in the market, and there was saturation, right? Uh, adult use came up, boom, now like the market thrives. And we're going to see the same thing happen here, right? Just like Oregon, there's going to be an initial flood. Uh, it's the flood's going to wash away all of the faint at heart, the inexperience, the get rich quick schemes. And the people that are going to survive or will thrive in, in, in a slightly different manner. But part of that's going to be because the state will recognize the industry's changed and they need to uh, have adult use. Do you think that the the regulatory structure and regulatory approach in, in Oklahoma sufficiently provides for quality and safety of product? Oh man, even, you know, probably, they probably do the best of it actually. Right. Cause Hey, let's face it, man, the flower of the cannabis plant is absolutely harmless. So here, you can just sell flour in whatever container you want, right? That makes it very effective to be able to package up cannabis and and inexpensive for the producers, right? But it's also realistically safe. Now, hey, the extracts, sure, they got to have childproof, you know, uh, uh, and the, the edibles, they have to be childproof. And the labeling has to have the same FDA labeling that California has. You don't have to say that everything in it causes cancer, which that's what you have to do on the California labels, right? Still requires testing. There's still pesticide testing. There's uh, uh, mold and mildew testing. So all of the same testing is still required. It's uh, 
but they're sensible about it, right? On the edibles and on the extracts, there's this higher level, child-proof. You've got to have some more information. And on flour, it's this lower level. They realize it's safe. You don't have to have all of this, this stuff. But pesticides, or man, they're, they're a way of the past in the cannabis industry. It is common now for, you know, people to shame their friends for using pesticides and nobody wants to have a failed crop. So people are just scared of it. And, you know, here's an interesting thing. It reminds me so much of Humboldt in 1997, 1998, 1999. Everybody's talking about the good ganja they want to grow. People are, that's organic movement and the living soil movement is just huge. Like people are enthusiastic here, right? Because they want to learn about cannabis and how it, how it can grow and they're trying everything. And hey man, Humboldt was like that back in the late 90s too. Before everybody, everybody, everybody was growing weed, it was still just a select few of commercial people and then like some people in their backyard. But it was this huge organic movement there that I'd never been exposed to, even though I was brought up in an agricultural background. Um, and uh, that's, that's gone away in Humboldt, but it hasn't here. It's like, I mean, it's, it's like I'm, it's 1997 again, honestly. Is there any kind of track and trace program in Oklahoma? Yeah, well, there's, there's, y- y- yes. So, uh, just like California, initially, they gave people a, a moment to get their stuff together. So you still have to have a track and trace of everything, but it's self-reporting. I mean, kind of just like California. So uh, currently, we're still in this self-reporting phase, which means I can easily have a, a, an Excel spreadsheet that says everything I'm doing, all, my, all, all of my COGS. Uh, 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 everything we've brought in, everything we've taken out. Um, and uh, if you get in trouble, they look at that and you have to have it, right? Uh, metric, which is a, 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 a national, becoming the national standard, they're in a couple of lawsuits, just like California was before uh, uh, it's going to, you know, be regulated here. But, you know, let's be clear with metric, man. Metric's also self-reporting. And I know they don't want you to believe that, but there's a human at the other end of the, the, the keyboard that puts everything into metric on a daily or weekly or monthly basis for any cultivation throughout the country. Right? There are tags and RFID stuff, but ultimately metric is self-reporting. And it's self-reporting in California right now. So you don't use metric in, in Oklahoma? Well, we actually do use metric, and many people do, because they have a, uh, they, it, they, in May, it was supposed to go into effect. So everybody got their training, and many people converted. But then there was a lawsuit that has it in suspension. We use it, many other people use it, uh, but it, it's in this lawsuit phase right now. People in Oklahoma are well known for telling the government to get off their collective lawn. Stay out of the way, stay out of their lives. So it's no surprise that there's very little, meaning a minute amount, of regulation in Oklahoma when it comes to the cannabis industry. We'll continue our discussion with Chip Baker about the minimal regulatory structure in Oklahoma and whether it's a good or bad approach. Back in just a moment, this is the Humble Chronicles.
Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Chip Baker. He's a cannabis industry entrepreneur, former Humboldt resident and businessman, now doing business in Oklahoma. We were curious about whether Oklahoma's hands-off approach to cannabis industry regulation had the effect of minimizing the size of the unregulated market. One of the things that we have been thinking about that kind of motivated us to, to put this episode together is the fact that here in California, there still is a, a very sizable unregulated market. And I'm, I'm interested if you know <laughs> in Oklahoma, if you have a sense of, of what the size of the unregulated market is in Oklahoma and to what extent did legalization sure. affect that market? Well, hey, man, there's no place like Humboldt on the planet to this day. And, you know, I don't know how many grows are unregistered or of the traditional nature, the private nature, we call it, in Humboldt. Uh, but there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. You know, if I said 10,000, I probably would be still off and there's more, right? It's just, it is huge there. And if you fly above Humboldt, you see all of the greenhouses and outdoor, you know, striped throughout the hills. Uh, there's virtually none of that in Oklahoma. People had backyard gardens. There was one hydroponic store in OKC, and they were probably doing like $500,000 a year. Uh, and, you know, now they're probably doing like three or $4 million a year, right, in just a few years. Uh, so there was virtually no industry or market here. And that's also partly why Oklahoma made it as open as possible is because they wanted to bring the outside knowledge, the outside brain trust, the outside IP, the outside money, capital into Oklahoma. And that's exactly what happened, man. Uh, 2018, we were here, industrial buildings for rent, for lease, for sale, decaying everywhere, retail places, same way. Now, like, man, dead shopping centers have you know, business in them, not just cannabis businesses, but wherever cannabis business comes, they bring other people and other econ economy happens, other commerce that goes on, right? So the real estate's one of the biggest growing components whenever legal cannabis comes in. Um, and, you know, that changed immediately, overnight, pretty much. You couldn't buy, rent, or lease a warehouse of any substantial size. Right. Or, you know, you went from being able to just like pick out ranches that had been for sale for three or four years to not being able to buy one at all. Uh, a chunk of the people that come in, in to get involved with the cannabis industry in Oklahoma uh, uh, are doing it because it's, un, it's, it's too restrictive in their local communities or they've been priced out somehow. Uh, there's 8,000 licenses today for medical cannabis, and it's really not a big number. It's probably, you know, like I said, there's probably 10,000 grows in Humboldt County alone, and it's probably more than that. So when you compare it to Humboldt, it's, it's just like an ant on an anthill, right, as far as illegal grows or the amount of cannabis culture or activity that's going on there, even though it's like a great place to be. Um, 15 people that I know of have been busted in the past year here, right? Doesn't seem like a lot to me. There's been some kind of large busts, 
uh, for Oklahoma, but of a standard nature for a large bust in maybe Humboldt and Mendocino. Uh, I believe that the local law enforcement here might paint a different picture, uh, but uh, I don't think they really have any proof of that. You know, they're claiming that hundreds of illegal grows and people are coming from out of state to grow weed. And uh, sure, that's going on. But, man, hardly anybody's getting busted. Right. So it can't be that big of a problem. So would it be your sense that in a legalized situation, the more regulations there are, the bigger the unregulated market will be and the fewer regulations or the the looser the regulations, the more that hurts the unregulated market? Uh, You know, Colorado is a really good example. And, And California did it, too. You guys remember the caregiver loophole. Right. Uh, California had it. Colorado has it. Many other states had it. And it allowed you to be able to engage in some sort of commercial activity associated with cannabis without actually having to have a license. Right. Uh, And that's kind of what's going on in Oklahoma is people are coming here for these twenty five hundred three thousand dollar license fee because that's what it costs. Right. It's twenty five hundred bucks to get your state license. It costs $500 to get another OBDN license, which is the Oklahoma Bureau of Dangerous and Narcotic Drugs, right? With those two licenses, then you can now, you know, go in and, and rent a building, build a building, you know, uh, uh, get like building permits all associated with, with those licenses for 2500 bucks. Man, in Humboldt, dude, they're going to charge you like eight or $9,000 at the county level alone to answer your questions, right? And, and you're not going to get really any answers. So, like, you know, this ability that they, Oklahoma sees, hey, I want to capture all of these people. Instead of having this gray market area, let's just, like, say anybody can do it and you pay me $2,500, and you're in my registry, right? That's a far better system than something like's going on right now throughout California and something that's, you know, that's gone on in the past with uh, uh, caregivers of having these one group of people that can do it on the side, and they, they say they don't sell it, but they actually do, as averse to, like, people who are trying to go completely above board, pay all the taxes, rent a storefront and, you know, grow and sell medical cannabis or adult use cannabis. So I, I, yeah, I think smaller fees are absolutely better, right? I think the California fees are outrageous, man. I feel so bad for my friends who've tried to get involved in legal cannabis in California. And I'm the same way, man, right? That you can't. Right. Man, I, I know people out there are listening to it. They're like, oh, loser, you couldn't hack it. Humboldt's better without you. Hey, we used to say all those things, too, when people left Humboldt because they couldn't, quote, unquote, hack it. But we realized that if we wanted to be involved with cannabis on this new, larger level of an international economy, that California and, and, and Humboldt, they were just in the past the way they were thinking about things. And it was really going to be hard to, you know, have research, do experimentation and have commerce, make money, you know, working under the restrictive and expensive licensing system of California. 
Do you think it's it's accurate to say that uh, in Oklahoma, since the cost of entry into the legal market is comparatively so low, that you don't really have an incentive to not get licensed? Correct. Right. Right. Exactly. They make it so easy here. Right. It's it's if you want to come from out of state, you can find a local, your brother-in-law, your cousin that's been here for two years. You guys can enter into an agreement where you own 25% of the company, he owns 75%. And that's pretty much the only law, right, that, that about out-of-state out investment, right? And, and, you know, then people want their corporations and pay people however they decide to pay people, right, uh, that might not be directly related to the ownership. Um, and that's also completely and absolutely legal. So, I mean, I kind of like, why wouldn't you do this, right? If you want to be involved in legal cannabis, why wouldn't you move to Oklahoma? Or, man, you could literally throw a rock at a map and whatever state it hit on would probably be better to grow in than California. As much as I love California, man, I love it there. Oh, tofu on every corner, bra, waves, big trees, love it. Right. But, man, you know, there's lots of better places for the cannabis industry. Well, are there people in Oklahoma that you know of who maybe have uh, one foot in each world like they are licensed in Oklahoma, but maybe they're sending some of it out the back door at a different rate? Do you hear anything about that? You know, I couldn't really say, but I'm sure that goes on. Right. Like, you know, it's just how it is. And, uh, uh, you know, Oklahoma Bureau of, of Medical Cannabis, they perform stings uh, that actually supports this theory. And, you know, they like approach people and buy cannabis without the proper documentation and man, people get in trouble for it. Right. And uh, that that's going on today. Right. And I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it's happening. But, hey, I'll also say that this is a flooded market. A lot of the cannabis grown here is being sold here, right? Or else it wouldn't be so cheap. Just out of curiosity, is is most of the growing activity in Oklahoma indoor or outdoor, or is it roughly evenly mixed? Uh, well, the largest ganja fields in the world outside are here in Oklahoma right now. Um, you know, we're working on one that's 90 acres, uh, all ganja, um, no hemp. There are hundred acre gardens out there. There's thousand acre gardens I hear, right? So the volume absolutely outdoor. Uh, uh, however, man, there are tons of small indoor grow rooms from 10 lights to a hundred lights. And the market really demands indoor product. Growing outside is hard enough as it is in a place like Oklahoma. It's even harder. Man, it's hard to grow weed out here, right? It's not easy. It, it'll be 40-mile-an-hour wind one day, uh, 100 degrees the next day, 90% uh, uh, humidity the next day, 70 degrees the next day. Oh, and did I tell you about the wind? It's windy here, right? <laughs> and there are so no restrictions on the size? No, no restriction on the size, man. If I want to put up 5,000 square feet more greenhouse, I could do that today, and I don't have to ask anybody. I'm on an agricultural property, 
you know, it's in the county. It's zoned like all other agriculture stuff is. Hey, Oklahoma's so cool. I call up to get a tax exempt, uh, an agricultural tax exempt, right? Because we got 100 acres, we got cows, right? And we're like, oh, hey, we're going to, you know, get a tax exempt. I've never been able to do that before. Call them up. They look me up and they say, oh, Wellston Rancher, Cannabis Farm. Yeah, here, sure, we'll send you your tax exempt tomorrow. <laughs> so they do consider it agriculture in Oklahoma. Oh, 100%, man. 100% they consider it agriculture, right? Uh, and it's, uh, you know, th- this, is a, this is a free state, man. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but they don't believe in too many regulations for anything, for good or for bad, right? And and that's what people call free state. In our next segment, we'll take a peek into the future and find out what's next for California, Oklahoma, and the U.S. cannabis market as a whole when we continue our conversation with Chip Baker right after this short break. You're listening to The Humboldt Chronicles. Welcome back to The Humboldt Chronicles. We're speaking with Chip Baker, former Humboldt County cannabis industry businessman, now working in the cannabis industry in Colorado and Oklahoma. And Larry, we're seeing signs that things are beginning to speed up a little bit here in California. Here's what I mean. Just two years ago, only 161 of California's 482 municipal jurisdictions and only 24 of the 58 counties were allowing any type of legal cannabis business. Right. And now in 2021, 182 cities and 31 counties are on board with allowing commercial cannabis. So why the change? Well, Local jurisdictions have seen the economic benefits flowing to those places that have opted in, and with so many places facing revenue shortfalls because of the pandemic, they might be seeing this as a good path to take at this point. And popular demand, that has to be part of it too. California consumers are well-informed and have a lot of experience with this enterprise over the last, what, 50 to 60 years or so. They know that some of the brightest minds in the business are in this state, turning out some of the best product. And consumers here know what they want. Man, California's got the brain trust of people. California, you have people that have been buying legal cannabis for 25 years. And they know what it looks like. The consumer is so informed there and demands a certain quality. And the workers in, in Humboldt, for instance, man, pretty much everybody has had some cannabis working experience. And it, you're brought up in it if you live there, or grow up there. And, and, and so you hear about how trimming works and how harvest works and your friends take off for it. So you know something about it. The rest of the country doesn't have that. Colorado does, but uh, it's only just begun there. And, you know, that's honestly California's greatest resource. And they're going to lose it because they're over-regulating it. It's too expensive to produce crops there. They're like forcing you know, people pretty much to to have private market crops, you know, uh, in California with the regulations. Uh, it's literally cheaper to go grow however much you want, get busted for it, than it is to go grow 10,000 square feet of legal cannabis in California. Because cultivation is a misdemeanor in California. What's stopping people from growing, you know, as much weed as they possibly can? Let's suppose that you were a a state official, some sort of regulator, and your number one goal 
was to decrease the size of the unregulated market. Can you think of some changes that you might make to the regulatory structure in California to accomplish that? Well, California's got a series of problems. But what's going to happen in California is all the rest of the states that are currently taking imports from California cannabis, those states are going legal as we speak. Amen. I guarantee you, not that I know for a fact, but Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas and Missouri, they probably got most of their cannabis from California and Oregon for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And And now they're growing it themselves. And yeah, sure, some's coming over here, but it's not like it used to be. That market's going to dry up for California, right? As soon as New York, I mean, Massachusetts is legalized, but they don't quite have their industry together. New York legalizes and get their industry together. And it's actually regulated, and uh, where's, you know, where's California going to sell their wheat, right? And that's going to be a part of it, and time's just going to do that. But, you know, I don't, you know, I'm the last person to tell anybody that we should be, that you should grow weed legally or privately, you know, as you wish. Like, I do believe that cannabis is for all and do with it what you will. I choose to, you know, sell ancillary goods and, you know, to grow as much as we possibly can here in Oklahoma. And uh, uh, so it's, I'm not criticizing anyone for, for their choice in that market at all. But California made a mistake when they tried to just like you know, zone people out of illegal business and make it just a misdemeanor for, for cultivation. Uh, California is unrealistic when they allowed all of the counties to like self-regulate and there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of illegal unregulated dispensaries throughout California. Dispensaries, not just grows, right? Uh, Humboldt County absolutely even though they claim they've got the most licenses in the state they have absolutely missed the boat they're they've lost the industry right they've lost the brain trust people hey i'm not saying like i'm the smartest dude that left humboldt but i'm a pretty smart dude and i've done a lot in my life and i'm not the only one right like that brain trust is just leaking out of humboldt in california uh you know that that's gonna that's gonna uh, uh, you know those people are leaving because they are in the private industry more than likely and want to go to the legal industry. So they're they're leaving. It's important going forward to make sure that Humboldt doesn't lose that cannabis brain trust that Chip talks about. It'll become even more critical as more and more states legalize and ultimately federal legalization happens. At that point, we'll realize that people in this business can be located anywhere. We'll be competing not just on quality of product, but competing to remain at the leading edge of the industry. That's exactly right. So we want the best and the brightest in the business to find it advantageous to remain here in Humboldt County and in the state of California generally. Going back to the question raised at the beginning of this show, is it the case that costs and regulatory burdens in California create an environment in which licensed operators will forever be undercut by a much larger unregulated market? After all, it seems almost intuitively true that the more burdensome the regulatory structure, the more incentive people will have to operate in the unregulated market. The situation is further complicated by Humboldt's relationship with unlicensed grows. Many people, including licensed operators, 
know others operating without a license. They are our friends and neighbors, people we've grown up with and love. And it's certainly true that there are plenty of responsible, ethical people growing without a license who care about their product, care about the environment, use sustainable practices, and are deeply rooted in and respectful towards our community. No one wants a return to the days of camp, prison sentences, military-style enforcement. We tried that, and it clearly didn't work. What will work? Well, at this point... I'm not sure anyone has the answer. I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guest, cannabis industry entrepreneur Chip Baker. And we send much appreciation to our sponsors, Proper Wellness Center and Lost Coast Exotics. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of September. So we'll see you next time, September the 15th at 6 p.m. 